Hey, this is Gareth Webb, and you are listening to Breakout, a show aimed at cutting through the hiring noise and breaking down best practices. We'll also be tapping into the minds of other industry leaders so you can ensure your business makes the right critical hires the right way. Welcome back again to your podcast <laughs> for the uh, third time this week as we play some as we play some catch up. Yeah, uh, knowing that there is some PTO coming up. Sick of a thought of me. <laughs> so th- this uh, topic today stems from some conversations I know that you have had recently with um, investors, and it just kind of sounded interesting for me to break down with you. Uh, a lot of recruiters seem to start their searches um, from scratch almost every, you know, every time. Yeah. Um, let me know if you think that's true or not as I pass this over to you. Um, so I wanted to dive into this and get a better idea of you know, what is the, the right way to go about it to make sure that um, we're not being wasteful with time and having to start over again because um, you know, I, I know that's one thing that we're doing with OutScout and, and part part of building our talent pool is um, allowing future clients or potential clients or current clients even to um, tap into um, an existing data set of, you know, good fit candidates and not having to kind of start that search and, and start building pipeline from um, square one. So let me pass it over to you, kind of get your reaction and we'll, we will go from there. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I was speaking to a few different companies and um and I observe this I've observed this everywhere um here at other firms. Um and then seeing just understanding like the way that even recruiters that have been working on behalf of OutScout to help us hire, like um it's just very, very clear that 90 something percent of the time everybody just starts from scratch and they're very reactive with um you're trying to trying to fill positions and there's one argument that yeah each position is unique and each company is unique and you should start from scratch and you should like and that that's kind of there's a, there's a truth to that in that um you know having a blank slate so to speak or a fresh lens um but it's entire. It's not. If you if you're doing that, you're assuming that there is the, the one perfect person out there, which is not true. There's lots of very good people who could be good for positions. So uh, it's more about grouping or like we the sort of internal language you use is like clusters of talent, or yeah, you could call them lists. Lists are a little bit too linear uh, for my for my line of thinking. It's more like groupings of people groupings of function groupings of seniority and then there's like these overlaps right like um what's the type what's the is it a venn diagram where you get like one mm-hmm. two three there's there's like a massive one of those then that's kind of how i my brain works in terms of um clusters of talent or groups of talent by skill level subsector interest all that kind of stuff so um everybody gets a position and then uh Clients of ours typically like write the job spec, post the job spec, see what inbound comes in. I think that's the worst thing to do first. Um, then there's the, uh, you know, do some sourcing, but not extensive amount of sourcing because people don't love doing it. So mm-hmm. by definition, 
they'll get and if you assume 90 plus percent of people take the path of least resistance then they just spend most of the time talking to the inbound candidates which is not the right thing to do for critical hiring but it's fine mm-hmm. in certain roles um and so the extreme end of that is you have search firms right that map the research map and then decide on who they think is worth approaching first um whereas i think there's kind of like groupings of activity or a process that would give you much better results every single time, which is, um, but it requires a lot of investment in infrastructure, data, to, to extend research, but also to like managing the data and updating the data, which over time, I think more of that could be automated, which is what we're trying to build, obviously. But um, uh, yeah, I think job ad out first, being overwhelmed with inbound potentially, not spending enough time on the proactive mapping or clusters of talent and um, looking at who should be considered for what types of reasons um, first. Mm-hmm. You'd have waves of that, like, which, so we tried, you know, we, we, we tried to look at, especially it's much easier now with remote, like who's just the best, who's got the, like the best combination of skill sets and experience irrespective of location and if there are physical strengths that helps you because it's physical there are physical geo constraints that helps you because you have a smaller smaller uh, pool to look at um so yeah i think so, it's just people take path of least resistance and they and we all look for like the gratification of oh look i've got five people like that's the gratification people want but it's not necessarily like the right five people um so i think you know we've talked about this before having categories of talent pools or clusters or lists, whatever you want to call them in your organization, um, is, is kind of how you should do that. And so it's like, okay, who do you know, sir? Like who's known and who do you know and who who knows you? So like who's in network, like that's one pool that you should hit first. Secondly, it's like, who do you know, but they don't know you. So like you've been, you've been trying to like target them or track them or identify them as like really hot, strong, uh, very potent skill sets that your organization could benefit from. So like for us, it could be, okay, who are the best recruiters out there? Who are the best salespeople out there? Who are the best account managers? Who's built really good products in consumer tech or talent tech or matching platforms and dating platforms? Like they're the kinds of people I would want to be clustering, uh, researching, keeping track of. And then the third column is like, who just, who's then not known? Like who, you know, who doesn't know you and who, who don't you know? And that's the kind of like the bit where the research and the proactive sourcing and the probably more labor intensive work and the less likely going to get results, but could yield very powerful results. Um, so to recap in your network, like, you know, them, they know you. Second is, you know them, they don't know you. So it's like the tracking, um, you like the look of them, you know where they are, you, you just need to be able to try to speak to them or engage with them somehow, which you haven't done before. And the third category is, you don't know them, they don't know you, they're unknowns. And so, but they're like, they're worth, they're in the kind of scope of, um, people you should be in front of or talking to potentially. So I think if people kind of took each role and kind of escalated or ran all three alongside each other, like have one person doing the in-network, one person doing the known but not known to you, but you know them, they don't know you, 
and one person doing the, the pure um, unknown talent pool, then I think uh, every role would have a much more effective group of people being considered. Cool. Yeah, that was um, helpful to kind of lay out. Uh, so I want to kind of summarize too and make sure that I'm understanding as well. The A lot of these strategies that are being deployed currently that you see typically tend to be reactive. We want to shift to a more proactive strategy, which does require some more processes and data management to be in place. And then there's three kind of main clusters or pillars that you would recommend, which you just walked through. Mm-hmm. That would be the foundation of getting those established so you have a more proactive strategy. That's obviously a lot of uh, process and data to manage. Do you have any suggestions on how to go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, for us, like obviously it's kind of KPIs and it's incentives and like we want the team each week to, and we would ideally have like a group of people doing this not um, when we were big enough, but, you know, adding data with like it's fully enriched data. So not just like a LinkedIn connection, but email, resume, skills. That's why we built our platform as well. So we like learn more about people. They can just sign up a platform, be part of the network, become approved, whether they're looking or not. So to a degree, there's like the self-service option, which means people do it for you. Um, then there's the, the part, like just getting it done as, it's, as it comes in. So like no one ever retrospectively goes through data and sorts it all out. Like it, it's something that that's probably why people start from scratch each search and try to find new people. And they've probably got, in many cases, they've probably got their data somewhere in their organization. It's probably a sat in an inbox, thousands or millions of emails down. ATS products should be better at doing that. But what, but again, that most ATS products don't reinvigorate the data or activate profiles. Like they just have it in there. But then it's relying on a human going in and finding it and, and maybe sending an email or phoning them or engaging with them, apart from just big blasts of emails. But candidates don't want that. So um, it's really about like, yeah, organizing it as it happens. And, and for me, that's where AI should come in and where like smarter software should present people like if a position gets built that's obviously like part of our bigger vision is like okay here's a position it's a director product or it's a customer success it's like a vp of customer success row by row like here are people that are in the system that should be good because they qualify um but then you have the people that are maybe outside your system that you may have to go and look at and i think you know doing both is is a kind of strong point and that's the where the results come I was writing down a couple of things as you were speaking there. It almost seems like there's tiers. Let me know if this is right or wrong. So like the the lowest quality tier would be just email inbox. No way to really track and effectively manage that. Yeah. ATS is probably the next thing that would be worthy of investing in coming from someone who maybe they don't have a, a fully built out talent team, but that can help with like managing yeah. um, inbound pipeline engagements is what is your take on crm is that like the next the next level um are there any shortfalls with that is that something that should be invested in yeah i think AT, some ats products are becoming more crm like um there are recruitment crms or trms talent relationship management p- products um so these all exist out there it's just do people perceive the value to invest and use them and 
having like any organization, whether it's a hiring organization or team or sales organization and team, you're having data that's sign inbox, sign people having their own spreadsheets, Salesforce, HubSpot, like doesn't really help anybody because, you know, I think it's fair to say we all have enough data now to know how to like go to market for something. The problem with the hiring piece is, yeah, it's the qualification of the data and, and how old is it? Look, it can age pretty quick. So if someone becomes, someone gets a promotion, they're no longer a director, they're a VP. So maybe you've got their resume somewhere as they're a director. So then you're emailing them about a director role maybe, and they're already a VP and they're like, well, I'm not, that's not me anymore. So it's just having, so you have the resume that's the kind of like document with the unstructured data in it. And then it's like, has, has the person who's observed and read that profile structured the data around it and added uh, context, um, and have they updated it? And it's a big task. Like that's why LinkedIn is sort of the source of truth, right? Cause the candidate does it like people update their profile and that's the like, so I guess that is one of the reasons why everybody piles into LinkedIn to find people. Cause they think that that's going to be the likely most accurate piece of information. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's plenty of people that don't update their profiles in real time and they don't add all their skills and they don't add all the things they do and want to do. Um, yeah. Which you again is kind of like you're in market kind of looking, right? Sorry. So you don't, I mean, at least this happened for me. Like I didn't really make any updates until I felt like I was interested in starting to job search. Yeah. Like there's no really, there's no need. Well, it's also looks a bit weird. There are people out there that have profiles that look like they're always looking. So it's like they're in a job, but their profile doesn't read like what they do is like telling the world how good they are at it and why their achievements. And that looks a bit strange as well, I think. But um, yeah, that's, that's the world we're in. Um, I think um, for me, it's like LinkedIn is one big part of it, obviously. Then it's you've got Zoom Info or any other kind of sales intelligence type tool. Um, and yeah, I think, um, you, you need it, you need hiring teams should be not big. Like we've seen the culling of the talent teams this year because of the market, they should never go back to being as big as they were. It's just, everybody should be, have better tools and automation and data management practices so that they can find ways of like talking to the right people sooner. Well, and I think um, I I could interview a thousand recruiters, and I bet you one percent or less like sourcing. So that that's why it doesn't get that's why it doesn't get done. Like people tend to like do what they like to do and avoid the things they don't like. So yeah, we have a few freaks in our business that love sourcing, and um, that's worked out very well. But um, yeah, that that that's not really what we want people doing all the time. Um, we want like engagement and conversation and matches and processes happening. We don't want all this kind of like constant scrolling through the internet and data, data silos. So, um, yeah, that's where, yeah, that's where products and technology can present the right thing to people. Um, and that, and that's where I think it's all going is like, okay. And that's what some of the, so one of the search firms we've spoken to Recently, or like the founder said that they waste so much time on redoing work 
And so it's like, how do you, and obviously the reason we were talking to them is because we're trying to sort of look at ways of like automating research and mapping and shortlisting based on different data sets and smarter data sets and cleaner data sets. So mm-hmm. yeah, that requires a lot of work from us, um, and investment, um, and it's a, it's a fair way off, but that is where it will go. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that here's a role, here's the top X, like number of people based on all the information out there, like the whole internet. And that's kind of happening already with some sales intelligence tools, but then it's like, how do you squeeze that down to a manageable amount of people to actually engage with an interview? So from say 100 to 10, um, and that's pretty where the real skill comes in and the real smart systems will come in. But cool. Yeah. Let's uh, transition to our uh, crowdsource Q and A. A few questions sent in that I wanted to um, cover with you today. Uh, So question number one, what expectations should you have of your recruiter? Um, And I wanted to kind of tweak this and get your angle on two different point of views. So um, expectations you should have of your recruiter as a hiring manager, um, and then also on the flip side as a candidate. Expectation as a hiring manager on your recruiter and should be like, we talked about this doing it the other way around, like the time up front. So I just expect them to be really organized with like a roadmap and a plan and some some solid documentation. So like not just notes in a notebook and not just chit chat, but like a live document that you can both look at edit, agree on, change, timeline, data points, example profiles, and, and then ownership. Like the, the recruiter should be owning it, like the whole thing. Like it's up, the hiring manager has to get involved, right? They have to give their time and energy and resource, but the recruiter should be owning it up front, planning it, mapping it, executing it. Um, and then just availability, like the ability to like speak to them, get hold of them really quickly, be helpful. Um, probably do the heavy lifting, um, scheduling and things like that. You should also expect your recruiter to challenge you, which I know not a lot of hiring managers or execs want, but you should be, if they're good, they will challenge you. Um, they, every great salesperson and or consultant and or recruiter, whatever you want to call it, like has a backbone has a point of view, questions to understand and challenges to sort of like define truths. It's not about just being a pain in the ass. It's like, yeah, no, I need, we need to understand this or like they should have real empathy for the candidate. So they are asking the questions that the candidate is going to ask ahead of time so that you don't look silly in an interview, um, stuff like that really. So I think like owning ownership, planning, documentation, um, expecting to challenge you and appreciate them that they're doing that versus being an order taker that says yes and just, you know, goes off and does does a, a kind of like passive job of it. And then from a candidate, what should a candidate expect from a recruiter? Um, knowledge about their industry and the company and position, honesty about what they don't know, I'd say. Um, Again, availability and like ability to get hold of them, confidence. Like if your recruiter is not particularly confident sounding in what they're doing or the company they're representing or the industry they work in, then that's a pretty bad sign. Obviously, like not in the 
there's a lot of that. Like I'm sure there's, there's just such, you know, the barrier to entry into the industry is not the highest necessarily for a lot of agencies. So uh, that is a problem. Um, so I think, yeah, having knowledge, confidence, and then just, just you know, an, an absolute, uh, you know, if you're talking to a really good recruiter, because it'd be fairly relentless around um, working towards a goal uh, and trying to help you. Um, and obviously not, like being too pushy, just, yeah, you want collaboration and you want, um, advocacy. If they don't, they're not really in touch with you very often and they're not helping you and they're not asking you questions and prepping you then. Yeah. And I, you know, then obviously don't advocate for you particularly well. They don't really believe in you necessarily. So I think it's just like having a belief in their confidence in you. Yeah, I think, and then professionalism, like, well, how do you define professionalism? I think it's the knowledge and the confidence piece and the preparedness, like all our talent partners are hopefully very knowledgeable about the company and the position they're prepared. They can over-prepare you if you want to be, if, if that's what, you know, if that's what you seek, um, and they respect the stress in the situation. So there's a high degree of empathy. And I think there's a lot of recruiters that lack that. They just keep trying to get a deal done and. Sling resumes, but they get push pushes one job. Yeah, yeah, have, yeah. Have a few clients, one job, or like they just want to get that deal done. Yeah, we 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 work hard to ensure there's like the uh, human element and there's empathy and some sophistication around how that experience pans out. <laughs> that made me think of a. Uh... I had an experience with a recruiter who we were on, on like an initial like video call, and she's gets on, forgets what role she was even like talking to me about and is like fumbling through all of her papers to try and, and you know, pulls out like a piece of paper and like reads it off. She's like, oh yes, we were looking at you for the uh, marketing <laughs> manager position. <laughs> I was just like, oh, this is. Bad start. Yeah. Oh, I've had all sorts of experiences. Um, so I had, um, I had an interview with American Express for like a European BD role for like their, their, their kind of enterprise customers. I was really interested in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up going to work for Hired. Well, it was a bit before that, maybe. Uh, anyway, the in-house re- recruiter, like talent acquisition guy, told me uh, the comp, and like, but wouldn't put it in an email. So I wrote it down. I think my first or second had just been born. Was about to be born. No, I think Star had just. My first had just been born. Interviewing with Amex, all going well, and I had the comp written down, and they were gonna they were gonna guarantee the first year as well because the sales cycle for some of these accounts was like eighteen to twenty four months. Um, so I was like, okay, cool. Like on those numbers, I'll go ahead. And then I went all the way through to final. I got the job, and got the offer, and it was it was staggeringly less. Like it was. And I said to the guy, no, 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 like I have this written down here. This is the base. This is the guarantee. This is year, year one OTE. And he was like, oh, no, I never said that. I was like, yes, you did. Like I ver- literally verbatim written this down. Like I have all my notes from our conversation here. Um, and he got very defensive with me. I was like, no, no, I withdraw. Like there's no way I can work for that. And I spoke, I ended up contacting the, uh, the um she was the european director who would have been my boss who i really liked and i was like and through the process she asked me a few questions she was like, oh, how have you found the recruitment experience i was like yeah okay like mixed 
And then at the end, I, I phoned her. I was like, hey, I'm really sorry. Like, I appreciate the offer, but it's like, this is what I was told it was going to be. And this is where it's at. And she was like, I don't understand why you were told that. I'm so sorry. She's like, this, she goes, this guy's a clown. Um, so again, it comes back to comp, just like having it documented and having it up, like, so everyone knows what it is. Like it wasted. Oh my gosh. I must have one, two, three. I was supposed like six hours of interviewing, like over a two, three week period. It was reasonably fast, but it was quite a lot of stressful interviews. Um, so anyway, yeah, just, I, I didn't have much confidence in that guy up front. Just his like kind of the commitment to not, the lack of commitment to send me the details in an email. So I was like, okay, I need to write this down just so I know. Yeah. So there's all, all kinds. And I've also been contacted in the past for like a role. And then within 10 minutes, the guy's like, no, 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 you're not right for this role. I was like, okay, cool. No worries. Like, what other stuff, what other stuff do you think you have? Or coming as well, nothing in the moment, but you know, if there's something I'll get in touch. I was like, you literally don't even want to spend like five minutes just asking a few questions to sort of establish mm -hmm. what could be a good fit, which is like, so if I ever see or hear that, like it obviously like it's not something we we do and I like, try to sort of reinforce the team that everyone everyone worth talking to is worth talking to to find out at least some of some of the core information, which is obviously why we've now mm -hmm. kind of tried to productize that so people can just tell us in their own time and on their own terms. But um yeah, just lack of preparedness which you experience lack of knowledge and confidence, which I experienced and a lack of integrity. So he's trying to like hook me in. And then at the end, like, oh no, I didn't say that. I was like, oh my word, this is going on in a public company. Uh, it's shocking. Okay. So next question here. Um, do you have a, or what is your recommended structure and any questioning, um, if you're willing and able to go into that for, um, initial interview rounds? Um, I think uh, having a, a bit of a structure is good, but keeping it reasonably informal to start with, um, to keep it high level, not too informal, but high level and just, you know, uh, two way establishment of fit to, to, to make sure there's a high degree of confidence that the rest of the process is there's alignment. So, uh, you know, can you communicate easily with the person? Do they understand what the business is doing and what the problems are and what you need? And then do you understand what? their situation is and what, why they're looking and what they want. And does it just, everyone knows like when it, when it makes sense, it makes sense. And if it doesn't, it's like, oh no, that's not quite what we're talking about here and getting clarification. So I think it's just really that, like making sure, uh, that, that everyone's eager to invest the right amount of time and energy and that, that that's worth it. Um, so for example, you know, Hey, where are you at the job search is a question to be asked. It's like, well, I've got three finals next week. And I really like two of them. It's like, okay, well, this process is going to take three, four weeks. This may not work. So it's kind of establishing and asking the questions. And for a client and for an initial interview, I think it's just a bit of, um, yeah, can I, do I get a sense from like the NL, like the neuro-linguistic programming, like that, do I get a sense that this person would work well with us and our team based on the communication style, their personality, do they add to the culture, like do do I have, do I have confidence in, in their credibility and, and, um, are they who they say they are and they're kind of doing that pretty quickly, like 30, 30, 40 minutes, I think is enough. Um, so we talked about this last week, week before, but like, if there are tests that help you do that, like the personality and cognitive assessments, like if those, if those help you categorize, then great, but you should still potentially just have a quick, 
30 minute. Um, and obviously now we just do Zooms, but I actually sometimes think a phone call is really good uh, initially just to allow people not to be too worried about their looks and stuff, but just like, just get a sense for the subject matter depth and the verbal communication. But um, obviously Zoom, Zoom is a standard, so I mean, that's fine as well. But yeah, and I, I think like as you go on, then the, the interview should become more in-depth and technical. One quick follow-up on that too. What, in in your opinion, what should already be identified prior to going into that? Because you kind of mentioned a lot of high-level establishing fit for that first conversation. What things do you want to have established prior to um, to help separate, you know, those you want to speak with to those you're not? I mean, you should 100% absolutely have established exactly what the job is doing. Uh, probably be able to discuss like why that job is in existence and what maybe the first, like what the onboarding period looks like, like, Hey, here's what you can expect coming in, support, training, deliverables, the ramping period. Um, cause that often gets left too late as well. I think like just kind of a realistic, pragmatic, we talked about this recently, like it should be kind of a simulation of, can you work with this person? So, and would they like working with you? So talking to them about, yeah, I think having a very clear deliverables, uh, very potent script around the job, the problems that the, is solving for the business, the expectations coming in, like painting the picture. Like if, if you can paint the picture verbally, um, then you'll be really successful with hiring. I, I think that's kind of where the really good hiring managers uh, possess. I mean, that's like any leader or salesperson, right? Isn't they good at like visualizing and, and, and taking people on a bit of a journey? without being too verbose. Let's wrap up. Um, again, we covered quite a bit today. Um, wanted to leave you with our last question. Um, if our listeners could take one thing away from today, from what we've discussed, what would that be for you? Any talent leader of a recruitment company or a search firm or an internal talent acquisition team should like incentivize their team to be more long-term thinking, like building out the three pillars of like, okay, who do you know and who knows you? Like who's in network spoken to before, or proactively spoken to, connected with? Who do you know that doesn't know you? So like who's your old like talent ID list or who are you tracking or who do you who do you like really like the look of that you've been keeping an eye on or you've put them in a put them in a uh yeah like watch list. And then the third would be, okay, who don't we know, but like we should go and look for uh, as part of the search. Um, and maintain that discipline around that structure. Like it doesn't always, you know, it might not pan out first time. You might get the applicant come in directly. But I reckon for critical hiring specifically that we're talking about, like highly skilled, senior, um, important hires, like, um, you should assume they won't come in. Or the best people won't come in. So then, having the two, having these three pillars will help you uh, focus on on your kind of output and data management. Um, but yeah, that comes with the incentives. Like maybe you incentive your team to talk to X number of people, even if they haven't come through in, in, in direct, uh, through direct channels. But unfortunately, the incentives drive the behaviors, as always. So it's like, oh, we just need X number of interviews and hires. So if there's no clarification around where those people came from, then people won't care. So I think we're looking at the incentives as to like, 
okay, are you paying your team to build out a network as well as just paying them to make hires? I think that that's how people should be bonused as well as just like the outcomes. We'll, we'll leave it with that. Um, thanks again for your time, Gareth. And uh, until next week. Until next week.